from 1983 to 1989, I was a video store junkie who went every day. Anywhere you reached, it was nothing but goodness. Even if it was King Solomon's Minds with Richard Chamberlain. It's a movie, let's pop it in, because even if the movie sucked, you were at least on the videotape going to see four or five good trailers for movies you never heard of. It's like, oh my God, the power of cinema in my hand. For me, it was about breadth and width. The internet has made everything a straight line. You have something you're interested in, you Google it, you go right there. And for me, the video store was about walking down shelves and turning over 150 different boxes and stumbling upon stuff you didn't know existed and a big part of just the fun of discovery. It's a cultural thing that has been lost and nothing of worthwhile has taken its place. Frankly, to tell you the truth, I don't even know why it was lost. I mean, is it just leaving the house? People don't want to leave the house anymore? Is that it? As much as the video store was a part of my and possibly your coming-of-age story, it was even more so for the filmmakers. They dedicated their lives to what they saw in those aisles. Their films are a product of video store culture. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the one, the only, and he's not going to be here in, for the next two weeks after this, but Cecil. Yes, uh, you know, busy stuff. It's just, we're on a new record date, and that new date doesn't line up with stuff he already had planned, so it just, it happens. Also here is actually not groggy because we're on a different date and time peter stay hydrated people it uh it helps your hangover good advice good advice. Yeah, i was gonna say very sound advice <laughs> you know what else might help a hangover adamandeve.com you go there yeah come and come and does help your hangover for sure it releases endorphins, yes. So go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, tonight what we're going to look at is the loss of the video store. Now, not necessarily why it happened, we all know why it happened, but why the loss of the video store is bad for film. Why not having the video store is bad for film because we all all of us even though we're different ages we grew up in the video store era we we had these things curated for us we had you know there was always that one kind of smelly clerk that knew everything and was a sarcastic asshole but really directed you to some great films you don't really get that with streaming anymore. And I've got a whole bunch of numbers to run down later. Why do you think the video store was so important to Phil? I will go and say that uh, I'll kind of refine that a little bit. The mom and pop video store was more uh, essential. And there were some of the chains, your West Coast video and Hollywood video were a little, uh, you know, were, were not as good 
good as like your mom and pop store. But like once you get into like your blockbuster, the majority of the people who I ran into there were not. I mean, I was more knowledgeable than film than most of them there. They were just kind of, you know, it was like I was going to get a job at Burger King or I was going to get a job at Blockbuster, you know, so they they really didn't care as much. Whereas if you've had people that worked at the mom and pop stores that have been working there for years or you had people that went to some of the smaller chains, they were a little more into the actual product that they were pushing. Yeah. Yeah, they actually wanted to work there and they were actually into movies and stuff like that. There's a, there's a big difference. A huge difference. And I mean, and that's kind of the thing. I mean, you know, uh, Tarantino and, uh, oh God, what's his name? Paul his Thomas one Thomas Anderson was a big one too. Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, the guy, uh, it, Roger Avery was, was at, uh, you know, working at the video store. And I mean, that's the thing. They all went off to, to be successful in various levels of, uh, of the industry because they were working in there and they had that passion for film and uh it just um you a lot of the people who i ran into with some you know once blockbuster kind of took over started pushing a lot of the other companies out of business it just it became not as curated like they they didn't really care so i will go early on the record and say that blockbuster had done more damage to the uh to this sector of the industry than streaming did. Streaming eventually was the death knell. Blockbuster was really the the mega conglomerate that started their downfall. Put the first uh, knife in the back. Mm-hmm. Right. And and none of that is unfair, but that's not always the way. Now, maybe this is just my experience, but like my girlfriend used to work at Movie Gallery and she is a total film nerd. She, you know, she gets all the references I give out and she would always recommend the weird stuff. I remember we had a chain called Video Update that was later absorbed into Hollywood Video, which was later, you know, then put out of business by Blockbuster, you know, such as the cycle of video life. But the Video Update, they had one guy there who would go out of his way to steer people to the weird exploitation movies. So <laughs> you, you you did have these. They were just the rarer ones, I think. But Peter, you, you're up in Canada. What would be the difference between like a Canadian video store experience from that era than like Cecil and I down in the States? Well, we, we had the mom and pop ones too. I mean, I remember living in a high rise in the, uh, mid to early nineties and we, we had a little grocery store that was kind of connected to the building and it also served as a mom and pop video store as well. They had a little, uh, video section and it had some obscure stuff. I, I would rent horror movies from there, random action movies. Like, like I can, um, I can very vividly remember watching um Pet Cemetery through that little shop. I remember watching um what was that one with uh, Edward Furlong Brain Brain Scan, I think. Yeah, was brain the one? Scan. yeah, the I remember trickster. watching <laughs> I remember seeing Brain Scan through that little shop just like they have like random little little um movies like that there and comics and sh- and stuff like that. Um also we had um I don't know if America has Videomatica, but that was one of my favorites. Um, that one has a lot of like foreign, foreign movies and exploitation movies and it, it had like animated films from all sorts of countries. You'd have French stuff, you'd have, you know, the Japanese stuff. You'd, you'd have all sorts of, sorts of crazy stuff that you can get from places like that. And obviously those are diminishing. I think Videomatica still somewhat exists. We have a few locations, but a lot of them were, were again soaked up by the, by the blockbusters and the, the Rogers videos. We, we had a, 
We had almost an alternate blockbuster here. I don't know. Did you guys have Rogers video too? Not by me, no. at least. That one might have just been a Canadian one, but that was kind of our our answer to blockbuster. We had two kind of mainstream ones. That one eventually turned into a cell phone service, though. But yeah, it's pretty much the same. The blockbusters would pop up, and they would they would soak up the competition, and the the competition would become blockbusters, and then eventually, of course, blockbuster died. So it was kind of all for nothing, and it ended up taking a lot of really great stores with them, and then of course streaming killed the uh what was left of the ones that that were still standing but i mean there's still i mean i'm sure we'll, we'll get into this later but we there are still a few um british columbia based uh, video stores that i i still tend to go to to this day be it uh videomatica which still has a few locations and uh black dog video which is one of my favorites to go to that's a that's a great one everybody says oh you know it's just all available on streaming you know everything you could have rented it's available on streaming and we unless all know they that take that's it down shit Right, because <laughs> this stuff, this stuff can just vanish. In, this stuff can just vanish in, in a moment. I'm going to quote from Maggie McKay, the board chair of Vidiots, one of the last video, big, huge video stores out there. Quote, you are not in control of what you have access to. You're picking from a small library that's always rotating. The technology only becomes problematic when it eradicates other forms of access. When you have a new technology and you rush to dump everything that came before it, you are literally dumping titles. You're dumping artwork. You're dumping full catalogs of work. Most of us fell in love with this art form when we were relatively young and that's because we had access to it. Once a video store owns a title, they have it for years, regardless if it goes out of print or if the film's rights holders go out of business or it sells their catalog to another studio or service, unquote. Mm -hmm. And that's true, because just in the last eight years, when Netflix in 2010, they carried approximately 6,755 movies, which... It sounds like a big number, but really when you think of how many movies are out there, that's just a drop in the bucket. As mm. of the recording of this, they have just a little over 3,000 movies, okay? So in eight years, they lost half of their catalog. Yes, they added some of their own originals and new stuff. If you look at this, now all these numbers are based on June 2018. So if you're listening to this episode down the line, these numbers can greatly change. Right now, Netflix currently has a streaming catalog of just over 3,000. Amazon Prime has a catalog three times the size of Netflix with 14,214 titles. Amazon also offers an additional 20,265 titles from their pay rental service, you know, the ones were, that are not included in the regular streaming thing. Hulu yeah. has only a, only a little over a thousand movies. HBO has only a little over 700. So it's like, this is nothing when you look into the amount of films that a blockbuster, an average blockbuster, Okay, I know we don't like Blockbuster, but since they were the biggest, I'm going to use them as the control here. An average Blockbuster would have between 10,000 and 15,000 titles in it. Jesus. Amazon's mm -hmm. the only one of these that even comes close to having the library a Blockbuster would have. The problem with streaming, too, is... One one service isn't going to have all the movies you want, so you have to sign up for another one. Then you have to sign up for another one. You got to sign up for for Hulu, and if Hulu doesn't have the movies you want, you got to sign up for Amazon. And if Amazon doesn't have them, you have to sign up for Netflix. You know, you're you're racking up a pretty big bill by the end of the month. I think that's that's one of the biggest problems. Instead of back in the day where you you sign up with like one video store and you'll generally get what you want. Like like most um I remember video stores like all I needed was a was a Videomatica uh, membership and I'd be able to rent whatever the hell I wanted. They would always have something that I wanted to watch. Here's the thing. What happened 
when when Netflix, uh, the streaming service, really first took off, they had already, you know, they had signed multi-year deals with various companies. The biggest one, I don't remember the exact numbers because we're going back a few years, but I remember it was something along the lines of they had signed a deal with Stars and they got access to the entire Stars uh, library, everything that they had for their cable service. And they had it for like six years or something, and they were paying $30 million. Once the contract was up, Stars came back and was like, you know, they were like, hey, we want to have access to, you know, your library again. We want to have another X amount. But at that point, Netflix had exploded. Netflix became like, you know, huge. And Stars came back and was like, okay, we won't, you know, we'll give you access to our library for two years for $300 million. Netflix was like, no, they're like, well, you know, we, we, cause it's like, all right, if that's that for you and then every other company that we want to deal with, we're going to be operating at a loss. So they lost the stars library. And I understand that, you know, a company starts to do better. You know, you want to, uh, you know, you're going to raise your prices, you know, because, okay, well, $30 million for six years. All right. Well, We'll, we'll kind of do it. Maybe if they'll, they'll switch the thing, boosting it to $300 million and then reducing the length. Like it's just, I mean, that's just corporate greed. That was the thing. So everybody was complaining about Netflix, but I kept telling people, I'm like, look, I'm like, they are a business. They're not going to be in business paying these prices that are essentially ex- extortion. So the thing was they had to do what they needed to do to survive. They made deals with companies that were willing to give them, uh, movies that would they would be able to pay for it a proper deal uh they got a lot of you know they got access to disney's library now they paid a lot of money for disney's library it was something that that was seen as beneficial there were a lot more people that are like you know it was a much bigger library it was a lot of more popular films whereas a lot of the stuff that was on stars was a lot of stuff that like we would watch but your general audience wouldn't watch like i used when i was at my old job i had people that were like oh god i had to get for the net get rid of netflix they didn't have any movie movies and what they really meant was they didn't have new movies and that was the thing with that's all they have now is new movies right because that's what people in general wanted unfortunately it sucks it i think that it's it's bad because there are a lot of uh you know there are a lot of amazing older movies but the thing was people were getting the service because they wanted to see new movies they didn't want to see those old movies because when netflix had the stars catalog people were always complaining about how there wasn't ever anything to watch and there were great movies there was a, a ton of awesome amazing films but they were from as far back as the 80s oh no that's so long <laughs> ago and, and, and see yeah. that's what i'm talking about because that is hurting film when you can own when do you know how hard it is to find some of these older films that are technically out there right now and again these numbers will change if you're listening to this episode down the line but right now as we're recording this netflix offers two titles made before 1930 15 titles made before 1950 26 before 1970 and 98 before 1990 now considering the three that's pretty goddamn weak consider it yes considering the 3,000 plus titles that they offer we're not even talking tv shows here that is under five percent of netflix's entire catalog it's 4.63 percent of netflix's entire catalog is from before 1990 you are not going to be able to get people new viewers younger people into these older films when you don't carry them the thing is they are a 
business and they are giving people what they want. And while, yes, I want more old movies, I am not the entire target audience. I am one person. We are three people. The majority <laughs> of people that are getting Netflix, they're getting it for the Marvel shows. They're getting it for the latest Star Wars movie. They're getting it for... Or just binge-watching The Office. Or binge, yeah, binge-watching binge watching whatever they have. Netflix is, uh, they, they, once they saw that these other companies were, were gouging them for, uh, for their films, they decided they were going to start working on their own product, which is why they now have all of these Netflix original movies, Netflix original shows, Netflix original uh, documentaries, all of this stuff, because they want to have their own library of content, as well as the stuff that they get from other companies. So while yes, you know, we're saying that this is bad for, for movies, and how are you going to get the younger audience into uh, older films? The honest truth is, the younger audience doesn't want to get into older films. And I'm not defending that. I think it sucks. I think that it's terrible. And I think that they're missing out on a lot of great films. Mm -hmm. But the thing, the honest truth is, if you talk to the average uh, kid, you know, nowadays, they don't care. They just want to see whatever's new. And the, the company is, in order to stay in business, they are catering for the people who will pay for that. It's not their job to try to get people into older films. It's their job to put out the product that people want to watch. But see, Netflix is endemic of a problem with streaming, and that is the massive splintering of the market. Netflix has been making more and more original content, and they're going to be losing all the Disney and Marvel shows very soon when Disney starts their streaming service next year. So they're going to be losing a large chunk of their library. And there are other, there are people, Charles Band and J.R. Bookwalter of Tempe Video, who have, who noticed how Netflix very quickly, once they started making their own stuff, were pushing everything else out. Because eventually Netflix is just going to become all Netflix stuff, all Netflix shows, Netflix originals. They're not going to carry anything that they don't make anymore. And that is just encouraging this splintering. Going back to something Peter said. So, okay, if you want to get the availability of all the movies that are legally available to stream in every month. Now, I'm not talking places like F Movies, which are a bootleg site. I'm, I'm just talking legally, so literally bootlegs out. You've got... Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Vudu, Vinegar Syndrome, HBO, Showtime, Stars. They all have their own streaming services. CBS, ABC, NBC, Crackle, 2B TV, Shout Factory TV, Warner Archive, Filmstruck, Shudder, Urban Movie Channel, that's for black movies, Feelin', which is a Hallmark movie channel, Crunchyroll, Funimation, Acorn TV, to pay for all of these. To just have access to everything that's available to stream is nearly $400 a month you would have to spend just to have access to all this. All of these things used to be available at one video store, though. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. All the type of media that you're going to find on all of those different streaming services, I can find at, like, Videomatica or Black Dog Video, which luckily still exist. But you're not, like, okay, two two things. First, okay, so all of those are available at your local video store. Yes, at three, four, five bucks a pop, you're going and renting all of those films. And the other thing is, 
it, it's Netflix's fault because all these companies started charging a ridiculous amount of money for, for their, for their back catalog. It's their fault for adapting to the industry in order to like, yes, they're going to push other, you know, they're going to push all this stuff out so that they're making their own content. And they've got a lot of great content. So who's to say, like, why is it Netflix's fault for kind of becoming its own service? And how is that any different from how cable companies would charge you three, four hundred dollars a month to have HBO and Showtime and Cinemax and all the other channels and stuff? How oh, about God, you yeah. leave it? How about you leave it up to the people to decide, OK, I want to, you know, I want to watch this. I want like I like Netflix and Amazon and whatnot for the convenience factor. OK, hey, look, this is on. I'm going to watch this. Hey, I, I you know, I'm going to rent this or whatever. And it's it's right there. And for the stuff that I want to watch repeatedly or the stuff that I want to own, I will purchase for a reasonable price. Still, it's still very much available and it, it it keeps me from having to take a drive out to to the store. And that was the other thing too. Hey, I really want to see that that hot new movie that just came out. Oh, it's all rented out, so I have <laughs> to wait. And I drove all the way out here for nothing. Whereas, hey, I want I want to watch that movie. Hey, here's five bucks on uh, you know on pay per view, and now I'm watching it. It really isn't necessarily Netflix's fault, really. It's more just a changing of the the tides. Times are are different, unfortunately. And I think the it's not even so much the, the accessibility or the money you're paying. It's the lack of genuinely good original content from independent sources. I mean, that used to be funded by by video stores. Video stores would pay more kind of middle ground filmmakers to carry their films. And nowadays, if you look at a lot of like lower budgeted stuff, it's almost non-existent or just incredibly hard to find. You know, you're, you're not going to have um, a movie like The Guest be on Netflix for very long and a place that a place where a movie like that would have thrived um, a lot better and would have made a lot more money at would have been a video store. Just film films like that, I think, are are losing their their ability to exist and, and be seen by people just because of the the amount of money that these these companies are charging for Netflix to use and the lack of um lack of venue to really put them anywhere. It's it's hard to it's hard to actually see good independent movies nowadays because they they just don't really have a place to shine. Unless of course you get all the other different uh streaming services. But but then again, they're not making as many movies like this anymore to begin with because there aren't really places that will pay to have them. I mean, we we don't have all these different film companies that are putting out movies that are more like middle-class filmmaking. It's either hyper shoestring low budget or it's blockbuster. Like that's well, I think that's the the biggest thing. Th- there's another aspect. No, this isn't necessarily next Netflix's fault, but again, pointing out before, Netflix is endemic of not stopping the problem and feeding the problem. I was talking to a filmmaker friend of mine who I'm not going to name because I don't have his permission to name him. He was saying independent film is dead and Blockbuster killed it. He said right now all anyone wants is TV shows. And by TV he's including like Netflix shows, Hulu shows. For the for the sake of this argument those are considered TV programs. That is really really big right now for sure. Right. He, he, he says no this is a guy who has made big budget movies and small budget movies. And he said no one will give you even a few hundred thousand dollars to make a movie. But 
we'll give you a few hundred thousand bucks if you can drag it out for nine hours into a Netflix show. And he's like, but <laughs> then it's going to be all padding. But they're like, well, that's what's hot right now. Nobody wants to put money into indie movies anymore. Netflix has made it so much that, and again, this isn't necessarily, like Cecil would point out, it's not necessarily their fault, but they are endemic of the problem with it. Everyone wants the next streaming show. People want, well, I, I don't know, it's, it, it's a movie, but we could make it into six hour long episodes if we just padded it the f*** out like The Walking Dead does, that that car ride that you would normally see in a movie where someone gets in the car and then they get out of the car at the convenience store? What if we show the whole drive to the convenience store? Now it's a TV show! F*** you! <laughs> there are way too many TV shows. It's actually, it's kind of a burden when I when I see shows glut. that I want to watch and then and then I realize, like, god damn it, I'm already watching like six other shows but here's this other show and another show is coming out. It's it's TV is, is ridiculous at this point. Like, and it kind of is killing a lot of independent filmmaking because instead of just making a movie, as you said, they get them to make a show instead. And it's just how many hours are there in a f***ing day to watch all these goddamn shows? Now, this is just a personal thing with me, but some of the Netflix shows and, um, and Hulu shows and stuff like that that I've watched, say they're 10 episodes in a season, you know, 10-hour-long episodes. I'll watch the whole show and just think, you know, if you cut out all the padding and unnecessary subplots, this would have been a pretty decent independent film at just under two hours. It didn't need to I be ten with, uh, hours. That's how I felt with Daredevil season two. Like the the Punisher stuff in this would have made a great vigilante film. Like as much as I enjoyed the show, there was stuff that I fucking hated, like the Electra subplot and some of the some of the stuff with Daredevil himself was boring. But it's like if you cut together some of this John Barenthal Punisher stuff into like an hour forty minute two hour movie, this would be fantastic. Well, I remember when my girlfriend was watching glow i just kept thinking there is so much unnecessary padding in these episodes that if you could take this whole first season and cut it into a pretty decent movie but it doesn't mm -hmm. need to be eight episodes of this there was uh this kind of goes back further um there was that tv show heroes that was really popular and it took off yeah. pretty pretty quickly yeah. they had planned i was working in the guys Cecil, i was working on an nbc station when that hit my god mm -hmm. did that hit huge it hit really big and what happened was i think they the guys uh the the creators originally had like i think it was like a 15 episode arc it had a beginning a middle and an end they had it all planned out and it was all pretty much you know in the can and the show exploded in popularity and nbc wanted to take advantage of this and instead of just saying okay well let's start working on a second season they gave them x amount of millions of dollars to go in and shoot 15 more episodes so they were like, well, we already got this. Why? So now they had to kind of pick where in the middle where they were going to more or less stop the story and pad it out for 15 more episodes before they got back to the story. And so they really like that's why, like, if you watch the first season, you're like, oh, my God, this is really great. OK, what? Why did why did that episode happen? It, it, it like, was it actually just... a little worse than that, because see, season in season two, one of the characters is a time traveler. He time traveled to feudal Japan. And that was only supposed to be, like you pointed out, Cecil, a two-episode arc. But according to the producers, and on the DVD, they admit this was a huge mistake. They said, and I quote, We fell so in love with the period setting and the period costumes, we just kept writing more. So you're just mm -hmm. watching the storyline going, Oh my god, this story is over! Why have we been in this for five more episodes? Yeah, they, they just kept, because they had the money... So they kept going. And I think that that is also a good uh, I mean, it, it's nice 
when uh, a movie or a TV show or whatever, when they have quote unquote infinite money, but a lot of times budget constraints do really help to improve the product. Not always. It's not always a given, but a lot of times they'll come up with creative ways around things. You know, oh, we couldn't afford to do this, so we did this, and it ends up working out better, or it ends up making the story flow better. You know, it, it forces them to be more creative. But then you also get like The Walking Dead, where each season is 16 episodes, and they have about 10 episodes worth of content. I, I remember in the last season, almost every episode, you'd be like, there's about 20 minutes of content in this 44-minute episode. There's just so much walking and walking and people building walls and build are we going to watch the whole yeah we're going to watch the whole wall gets get built and it's like oh my god you don't know how many times i would scream at the screen do something well as as i've told you on facebook on numerous occasions stop watching it that's the only way for them at this point right then shut up you are <laughs> the problem no if the show should watching, not suck no you are the problem because you keep watching it. If you stop watching it, they will stop making it. Oh, no, or I, I, I bootleg like these things. I bootleg these. They don't get a, a number out of me. All right. Well, then shut up then. <laughs> then you're just you're just watching it so you can complain about it. And I have no sympathy for have that. You met me. Uh, yeah, that's true. I don't I don't I'm starting to not like you. You know what? That, that took longer than I thought. <laughs> no, I'm just, I think that it, it's just, just stop. But I mean, the, the, in general, people, they're, they're going to watch this. And, and I mean, obviously, I mean, if the ratings start to go down, they will make adjustments or they'll stop making the show. All right. Well, let's get back to what we were talking about with the video store. Now, there are still some independent video stores out there. Obviously, you have the hilarious Alaska Blockbuster store. And I, you know, I'm not a big Twitter guy. I say you need to follow the last blockbuster. That's what they call themselves, their Twitter feed. They are hilarious. The people who run the last blockbuster store, the one in Alaska, are hilarious. So I'm recommending to the audience you follow their feed. Some of these Twitter profiles are hilarious. I follow Moon Pie. I, I, yes, I, I, Moon Pie is great. great. I, I don't know that one, but like the last blockbuster, uh, hope everyone is having a nice, relaxing weekend. Has anyone seen our front door? <laughs> hey, hey, guys, hate to be a stickler, but if you could drop returns in the return slot instead of keeping them forever, that would be awesome. Thank you. Or uh, on June 5th, if you're looking to let's, if you're going going to let something as silly as carbon monoxide keep you away from renting the world's greatest films then we don't want your business anyway <laughs> if you've run out are of things actually, to do you could they, come they here are, do they run too like they're they're actually a functional blockbuster yeah they're a functional blockbuster in alaska and they're, oh they're the God. last one and their twitter feed is freaking hilarious <laughs> it actually runs like a sitcom that we're not watching sort of is oh the way God. they run their twitter feed that's fantastic but but you but you have other independent stores like vidiots or you have Eddie Brant's, or the biggest one right now is Scarecrow Video in Seattle, Washington, which right now has a video collection, VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, etc., of 131,000 titles. Well, they actually ran out to VHS, too. Yep, and but now here's the thing. They, they actually have 100 titles that are VHS titles that are so rare, you have to put a deposit down of $200 to rent them in case you destroy oh, them. Shit. That these are VHS titles that there are only like, you know, three dozen known copies in the in existence right now. Just imagine in this day and age with all the streaming and everything, there's still a video store where you can rent super f***ing rare VHSs, Pete. 
This is uh, this is a good reason for me to visit Seattle. They put a YouTube video up where one of their guys was walking around the store. I I I, I posted right on Facebook. I think I would come if I walked in this place. It's just huge. <laughs> it's like, gorgeous. Uh, be like uh, Randall walking around Top Choice. Yes, <laughs> and then he still rents Best of Both Worlds, but whatever. <laughs> Well, we don't know if that's all he rented. It's the only one he brought back to Dante. Well, it's the only one he brought back to Dante, you know, but... Hermaphrodites! We were going to watch it together! Yeah, hermaphroditic porn. <laughs> Chicks with dicks that put mine to shame. <laughs> I think it's great because Amazon... Or, I'm sorry, Amazon. Uh, I think it's great because Blockbuster f***ed up so bad that they went out of business... And now we're getting the rise of these smaller video stores again. It's more of the niche titles and stuff. I think that's, that's great. I think that that is, you know, that right there. I mean, the, the market, if, uh, if the market wants it, the market will dictate that. I mean, it, obviously they're doing well enough that they're that big and, uh, people are going to go to them. I think it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. I would like to have more, uh, you know, mom and pop video stores return. I might not necessarily go to them personally. But again, I am not watching every single thing that's on every streaming service as well. I have my couple, you know, I have I have Netflix because I like Netflix's content and I have Amazon uh, because I have Amazon Prime and they between the two. Oh, and I also have Shutter. But between the, the three and them. well, I don't work for them. I did a couple of spots for them, but I actually I mean, they're five bucks a month. And I think that uh, with the amount of, you know, if I watch one movie a month from them, I, I got my five dollars, you know, my five dollars worth of content from them they uh they they've done you know every month they put out something that uh, i wanted to see so i i don't see any reason to stop between the other two uh you know the prime i more or less have it more because i have prime because uh, of the free shipping and you get the 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 service as like a bonus and uh netflix i got it because they just have a lot of stuff on there that i want to watch but i've discovered that by talking to a lot of people i'm discovering that there are a lot of people out there that have a lot of time on their hands and that's something that i don't have because whenever a new show comes out i'm like oh you know there's oh they just put up this uh you know the entire season of daredevil or something and i'm like oh that's great i really want to watch that and like maybe two three months later i get to watch it and i get people that are like oh my god i just binge watched the whole thing and i'm like my god like like i don't have i don't have that luxury of uh of of being able to just sit down and watch you know eight hours of, of programming or however much and uh, I'm a little I don't want to say I'm envious of it but uh, I think that that's really what a lot of these things are catering towards they're catering towards the people who have the time to sit down and binge watch you know an that's entire the season with of a show they're catering to sloth <laughs> uh, well I mean again you know it, it's they're uh, catering it's, to the to the single folk who stay up till six a.m. watching TV shows yeah I don't know even when I well no I can't say even when I was single, I wouldn't have stayed up till 6 a.m. watching shows. I would have stayed up till 6 a.m. playing Fantasy Star Online or something. Or <laughs> fucking nerd. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> but, okay. Now, there's one thing, and Netflix doesn't do this as much, but Hulu actually pulls a card from the old video store era, which, in a way, I think is disingenuous, and in a way is like, okay, I, I, I can't really bitch about that. When they do have older movies, you'll notice how they have, I'm just, for the lack of a better term, going to call them the poster art or the cover art, and it's very modernized. I saw they had a classic section the other day when I was at my girlfriend's house. It had, like, Taxi Driver and Easy Rider and that. Posters that looked like they were brand new movies made this year, and I thought... I hate it when they do that. I'm like, that's very disingenuous, but then, come on, the VHSs always did that with deceptive cover art, so 
I can't really bitch about them doing that. It's just, it's still disingenuous of them to try and sell. Because somebody who sees, you know, a modern-looking poster for Taxi Driver and clicks on that's going to go, Hey! Now, this doesn't necessarily have to do with Netflix, but it does have to do with, with this sort of thing of reissuing older movies with newer covers. Have, have either of you seen the, the Keanu Reeves movie Brotherhood of Justice? Yes, it's actually a TV pilot. It's going to be in my book where he, he looks at the, the, the DVD cover I have. It's uh, It's got John Wick on the cover. It's like John he Wick. doesn't look it's anything just, like that, does he? Even though he wears like this like horrible like white, it was almost like a turtleneck sweater kind of thing. He looks very preppy in the movie. He's almost got like or, a bowl cut movie. too. Yeah, he he looks like really like dweeby in it, and it's almost got no action in it. They're they're like the worst vigilantes ever. It was basically. a TV pilot, and, dude. And they really promote the hell out of like Kiefer Sutherland on this new uh, DVD cover that I saw. It's like starring Keanu Reeves and Kiefer yeah, he's Sutherland. He's literally in, in it. The movie for like five minutes. There was Enzo G. Castellari's Inglorious Bastards, which they repackaged into GI Bro, just because. Uh, Williamson was in it. it. To be fair to that, it was a different edit that made it look like <laughs> like Fred Williamson was the star. So that wasn't that actually Inglorious Bastards. Some like B roll and stuff like that. Yeah. So so to be fair to that, it was technically a different movie. <laughs> If, if, if you want to get technical on that, it's still sleazy, but it's technically a different movie. I just love how freaking terrible the title is. Oh, G.I. Bro when is a great G.I. title. G.I. Bro is a great <laughs> title. It's so bad. There was a movie in 1992 called The Turning, and it had uh, it was Gillian Anderson's first movie. She mm. is in the movie for a grand total of about five minutes. Oh, um, man. When she was on The X-Files, they redid the cover to have her front and center and... And have like there's the um the, the scene in the movie she basically shows up takes her uh, takes her top off and and leaves like so they had a you know so the cover is her like unbuttoning her her blouse oh and come like on. front and center she's like I I think she's like the twenty like. Uh, like probably like the twentieth person, like uh, when they get to the cast list. Yeah, the twentieth person build. She's like nobody, but they made it like you know, Gillian Anderson's first movie, and she's like in front of you know the the actual stars of the film, and it's it's so bad. But yeah, so they've been doing that kind of nonsense. Did you ever see the the reissued cover for Near Dark after Twilight? Oh, the, yeah, the Twilight. Oh, color. that's that's disgraceful. That is disgraceful because they made it look like it was like a Twilight. Vampire loves that movie is so not from the VHS era, probably my favorite one, has got so much wrong with the cover. Now, you guys have seen the Master Ninja MST3Ks, right? Yeah. I have a VHS for both of those. The first one is just says Master Ninja 1, and it's got a picture of, and this was like a 1993 release, then-current photo of Demi Moore, who doesn't look much like that in the episode, and for some reason, it's got a picture of Bruce Lee with nunchucks. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Bruce Lee... I didn't have anything to do with this show and had been dead for like six years when it was made. Why is Bruce <laughs> Lee on the cover? Because f*** you, that's why. That's probably my favorite. Oh. They just didn't care at all. That's amazing. Yeah. But, okay, back to the topic at hand. We got diverted as we tend to. One of the things that the video store always had, which Netflix and Hulu will never be able to duplicate, is the curation. Being able to go up to the clerk and say, hey, I really liked this. You know, it's directed by Robert Altman. Do you have any other Robert Altman films you would recommend? Because everything, all the recommendations on Netflix and Hulu and that 
are computer generated. They're all just based off of keywords. Hey, you liked this? Well, this is in the same genre. I truly miss being able to go in and talk to the other film nerds and get turned on to some movie that I've never, ever heard of. That That is something that streaming will never be able to duplicate, is the curation. <laughs> oh, really? Shudder has an entire section like dedicate they have if you like uh if you're looking for giallo we've got these giallo films if you're looking for um women in prison we've got these films and they have guest curators come on like celebrity curate hey uh you know this guy directed this movie here's a bunch of movies that we have that he recommends here's this guy uh he worked on this film he's he's recommending these kind of films so you're not getting the going up and getting the person behind the counter but you're getting a big i mean I mean, seriously, they probably have a good 30, uh, like selection of 30 different like genres. And then they have celebrity curation doing a lot of really good. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying this simply because I, I like, you know, they, they, I did some stuff with them, but I'm saying it because I legitimately believe that they are going in a good direction. They're doing a lot of cool stuff that uh, the other people are <laughs> tending to doing as is horror in general. Horror. They do sound up- really good. They're, they're one of the few streaming services I actually want to get because the, the horror stuff tends to be like the harder stuff to find. They're taking a lot of the stuff that the other, networks just aren't carrying and getting rid of and they're like hey we know there's still a market for this so we're mm. we're pushing this that's awesome but we also have to get back to what the initial topic was and that's how streaming is hurting film in general classic film now cecil you pointed out most people don't want old movies they all want new stuff i don't believe that yes there are going to be people who i only want to see the newest marvel movie i only want to see the newest paramount movie i think most people if if they were in a video store say it's the same thing they're going in to look for some new movie and then they see the cover art for some old movie that they haven't seen in 25 years be like oh my god i totally forgot about that movie let's check that out again you don't get that now everything is new and like i said netflix has not even slowly been very quickly pushing everything else out to the point where they're only going to be carrying new and netflix is the biggest one so yes you can go to filmstruck and some of the in vinegar syndrome for some of these other ones but those are very niche you basically have to know what you're looking for in the video they're store you would stumble upon this shit they're not pushing them out. The contracts are ending. That's, and they're just not renewing the contracts. It's as simple as that. They, it's not like they're saying, Hey, we have the rights to all these movies, but we're just not going to carry them anymore. No, yeah. they have the rights to these movies, but they only had them for a limited amount of time. So they're not renewing the contracts because usually the companies that have them, they just want too much money or yeah. they're going to, they're like, Hey, we're going to take this and we're going to go to Amazon or we're going to see if we can uh, sell it to, to who or whatever because Hulu offered us more money so it's not like they're actively getting rid of stuff they're just not renewing the contracts because they're too expensive it sucks but it's not necessarily their fault it still sucks though and and the other thing too is if you walked into a video store you walked into a blockbuster or whatever the first thing that you saw was always going to be the new releases the new releases were on the outer shell of every video store and then inside you had the you know you had the shelves that had all the you know older 
stuff or whatever. So like what from a business perspective, what is going to be the more the better draw? Hey, we've got 30 copies of this movie that will rent out immediately or we might get somebody who's walking through the aisle to get to the new movies, sees a movie that they haven't seen in a while and decides to rent that one too. Well, I I personally think they they should have uh, put at least 30 copies of Microwave Massacre the second you walk in. <laughs> Damn straight. It's a good, that's a great cover art. It, it certainly it is. is. But you, but you also have this, you know, there are rights issues come into so much of this because there are so many movies cannot be licensed for streaming through for music rights or anything like that. Mark Edward, Mark, yeah. Mark Edward Hewick, I hope I'm pronouncing that last name right, of Beat the Geeks has a good quote. Quote, there will never be as many titles on DVD as there were on VHS. There will never be as many titles on Blue as there were on DVD and so forth. Newer generations with shallower memories determine what gets out. The cost of upgrading and remastering old stuff versus the projected size of the audience and likely sales ratio, and, and likely sales rarely ratio well. History forgets the dying king. Unquote. That's the other thing. Mm. Look at all of the movies. L- let's just talk DVD for a moment. Look at all of the films you can only get on VHS. VHS because of rights issues. Look at how many films rights issues and they've lost the original print and they can't remaster or, or, it. Well, I'm just thinking thing rights issues right now. Like one of the big ones is how I, I know all of us own DVDs right now that say that they have a replaced soundtrack. You you, oh, you got to yeah, go back like, to the VHS uh... in so many films to go. Oh my oh my God! Journey did used to. I I thought it was crazy that Journey played over this scene, but it's not Journey on the DVD. Like with, uh, mm-hmm. It's like in Nighthawks during the club scene. Uh, I think the VHS version has uh, Black Sugar by Rolling Stones, and then the the DVD didn't weren't able to get the rights for that, and it had to be some like generic kind of disco track. Uh, Stephen King afford uh, the shit for Maximum Overdrive. Probably simply because back then, uh, at the time, you know, he had more money than, you know, more money than they knew what to do with. But a lot of times, every version of that film has ACDC, be it the VHS, the DVD, the Blu-ray, doesn't matter. They all have the same ACD-ridden soundtrack. But but you also got to remember, with lots of corporate mergers, sometimes that works out in their favor. Ah, they have the the library. The the same parent company Mm. that might own ACDC's music might also be the company that bought the rights to Maximum Overdrive, so it's all in the family. Yeah, it's kind of a circumstantial thing. It's it's not necessarily a big movie. Like, it's kind of basically just like an exploitation film, but it has a full ACDC soundtrack. So we're going back a couple of decades... So it's, you know, I mean, ACDC was was popular, but, you know, also the whole paying top dollar for that kind of stuff wasn't really ingrained just yet. So which is why you had a lot of movies that had like these amazing soundtracks, you know, from various but artists. But that's just another reason that the VHS is. Yeah, like so- the, uh, how the hell, how did fucking Kevin Smith license most of the stuff in the first Clerks? He talked about that in one of his spoken word things because mm. he said uh in the special features he wanted to show this one extended scene he's like with the with the goodbye horses thing uh he's like <laughs> we had to we had to drop it because like we, we showed the scene but we had to show it without the music because oh. we would have had to pay for the again. song again yeah. but, oh, okay, man. speaking of people like kevin smith you have people like kevin smith quentin tarantino paul thomas anderson people that are very film literate all of these people 
are on record. If anyone has not read the book, I lost it at the video store. It's a fantastic book. I've quoted from it before in previous episodes. All of these people, their passion for film came from the video store. Their passion for film was Mm -hmm. going down those aisles. And all of them note in the book, you just don't get that scrolling through a Netflix queue. It's totally it's not an experience. the same thing. It's it's something it's something that I I really enjoyed and still enjoy. There's something about going into a video store with your with your friend or or your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you're you're walking around and you're looking at the covers and you're picking something out. You strike up a conversation with the clerk or somebody that's working there or somebody else that's walking around. It's it's almost like it's like an outing. It's like going out. Going to a video store was was pretty much the, an experience in itself. And that's that translation is a bit um quite a bit lost in uh the streaming services it's it's not it's not the same it's not the same to sit there and scroll through a screen and and go and, and pick something there was something fun about picking up uh you know one of the one of the cassettes or, or a dvd and you know reading the the back cover especially something that like sounded ridiculous or had an actor that you like or it's like well gary Busey, i didn't i've never or, heard or of this it had movie. a fantastically painted cover that you knew the movie would never live yes. up to yeah cool. there's there's something fun about that there, there's it's like if you didn't have anything to do on a Friday night, you would go to the video store. It's like, and, and you'd spend some time there. You'd spend like a half hour, maybe an hour just like browsing for stuff and finding some movies to watch and, and learning about movies you haven't seen before or discovering some like really ridiculous cover art. It's, it was, um, it was awesome. Like that was something I would, I would love to do because especially in the days of, cause, cause when I was younger, that was kind of when video stores were still big, but they were on the brink of starting to die out. So there were still a lot of video stores around. There'd be, you know, mom and pop store down the street there'd be a rogers down the street there'd be a blockbuster up the road there'd be like a a smaller but really good independent store up the street as well you'd have this whole like sector in your town that would have a a whole bunch of of different uh cool video stores that you could go to and and check out it was it was it was something really fun to do when you had nothing to do and a lot of people younger people specifically are going to say we're only thinking that because we're looking through nostalgia and that you know just going through netflix and hulu is just fine i disagree i think there is there's something more tactile about a video store there, there's something let's even just stick in the dvd era when you know commentary tracks and that are the norm you don't get any of that on netflix or hulu you don't get any of the making ofs or the deleted scenes or anything like that if if you're an, a real movie fan you want the dvd if you're a real movie fan yeah. who wants the correct soundtrack you want the vhs it's only the average uh, just want something to fall asleep too. That loves Netflix like <laughs> this. And I hate these people. Sucking on the teat of Shutter again. They've been including commentaries. Oh, they have commentaries. You know, if you're yeah. not getting paid oh, for this episode great. from Shutter, you should. I certainly should. <laughs> My God, I am giving them so much free advertising. Bastards. They need. They need to rehire me for another campaign. I'm pretty sure you gave them a new customer too. I'm quite certain I'm going to be signing up in a few days. Hey, use uh use the code good bad for a free 30 days. You son of a bitch and chill. <laughs> I totally set him up for that too. That was perfect. But okay, they there is a loss to film. 
I think streaming being the dominant format now, and especially being as splintered as it is, nobody can, no average person can afford all those different services I listed every month just to have access. You you don't even have time to watch all the movies that are on these things. You just have access to them. Oh, you can afford it. Just uh, take out a second mortgage. Start uh, start taking <laughs> out some loans. You know, you can you, you'll make I'll it. You'll be fine. Bank. Who the hell Rob? Ba- Actually, who who the yeah, hell Rob ba- Rob's banks anymore? But anyway, but <laughs> but my point is film is suffering okay less than half of the movies that were ever available on vhs made it to dvd less than half of the movies that are on dvd have made it to blu-ray and only about that same number have made it to streaming just imagine all of the hundreds of thousands of movies out there that do not exist on streaming and most likely never will Yet streaming is the new what, norm. What about all the, uh, what about all like the public domain too? Like there's, there's so many movies in, in existence. It's, I don't, th- which is why I don't see why you have people that are like, Oh, I only want to watch something new. It's like, Oh, so are you saying you've seen everything? You, you've seen, uh, Abraxas? Well, they're also the kind of people that, you know, oh, you can watch dumb crap. And it's like, all right. Yeah. You'll watch Transformers, but you won't watch Abraxas. <laughs> well, I, I think Abraxas just, it, it actually pushes how many times you can hear Colmater in a, in a 90 minute time slot. The ultimate way to kill your liver with a drinking game. Well, that's just because your box has VD. No members of our force were taught to avoid VD. <laughs> but okay. I, I, on that note, do you guys think that this situation is going to get any better or is it just going to keep getting worse? No, I don't mean like you liking Netflix or Hulu or something. I mean in the regards of harming film history. I think actually there's kind of been a pushback because if you look at Shout Factory and uh, Vinegar Syndrome and uh, uh, Arrow and all these companies... All these companies, yeah. Yeah, that are coming along, and it's like, while all the other companies that are taking these movies that uh, never made it to DVD and are getting the original film sources, or at least the best quality uh, that they can mm-hmm. and are remastering them and in 2k and 4k in some instances and are putting them out on blu-ray so i think that there's definitely a pushback where there are a lot of people that are more than happy to purchase these and have them in their their library i know i've got a, a crap ton of them eventually like we're going to be getting a lot of stuff on blu-ray we're going to reach a point where a lot of the younger generation is going to gravitate more towards streaming and a lot of the older generation is still going to continue to purchase these films uh on on blu-ray and yeah. you know on dvd if they do you know they are still there's certain ones like arena and whatnot where it's like you know we couldn't find the original source so you know we only release it on dvd because that's as good as it's going to look anyway mm-hmm. um but i think that there it might eventually be a push where a lot of the younger generation will also start to look into blu-ray you know because they'll be like hey i i They'll maybe stumble upon a weird movie that they end up really liking, and then that'll be the gateway to a bunch of other weird movies. Yeah, that's that's how it happened for me. I think it's happened how it happened to pretty much all of us. Yeah, physical media is making a comeback, and it is with a lot of these companies that have been sprouting up over the years. You had Blue Underground was kind of blazing the trail. Then you've got you had Shout Factory. Then you'd got you have Severn Films popping up, Arrow Video, which is oh god, they're a, just just their YouTube channel is fantastic. They have like little little trailers for every movie they're going to put out. I spend f***ing hours on there sometimes just watching like trailers for random movies I've, I've never heard of. I had just – just through them, I heard of a movie called Cohen and Tate, which I had ah. never seen before. 
God damn, was I happy to find out about that. That's just one of my one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. Uh, Roy Scheider, late night UHF TV in like the late eighties or early. It's great. 90s. It's got Roy Roy Scheider and I believe and Adam Baldwin. It was Adam Adam Baldwin mm-hmm. just as two hitmen that uh, have to kidnap a, a kid and take him to the mafia, and it's like a road movie. So good. And it, it thanks to Arrow Video, I found out about that. And they have great you know packages with their with their DVDs with alternate slipcovers and trailers and commentary and making of and they put so much effort into their releases it's it's phenomenal with releasing with releases like this from companies like this physical media is making a comeback and it's not only going to be for the older generation but i think a lot of the younger generation is going to see this because a lot of the the covers that arrow will do or shout factory will do they'll either use the old original poster art or, the, or they'll make their own really good looking poster art that like looks kind of like a retro cover but it'll be somebody that they commissioned to do the the poster art for and it's really striking that's something that's going to cater to not only the older generation but the younger generation is going to see that and go oh this looks cool i never heard of this and plus also older physical media has been making a a rise for a long time now anyway you know you've you've got people that are collecting vhs as a hobby these days you've got people that are that are collecting records and are amassing like record collections and buying vcrs or buying old uh retro consoles like like you know the nes or the sega or the super or the Super NES. So I think it's it's going to gradually make enough of a comeback to stay relevant. I think physical media will always be something that's relevant because nothing really beats having your own copy of something. You know that's always going to be there. You know you've always got the there's that there's the cover, there's the case, you've got all the the special features that come with it. It's there, there's a pride in in owning something like that, owning one of your your favorite movies and getting to watch it, you know, whenever you want or lending it to somebody or introducing it to to somebody new um so i think with these these companies that are that are coming out and remastering all of these older more niche exploitation action kind of horror movies we're, we're gonna start seeing a, a rise in a in a demand for for physical media and streaming of course is always going to be there renting of course is always going to be there i mean even even if it's dying out a little bit there are still video stores popping up there's new ones that are coming up that are very reminiscent of the old mom and pop stuff so you never really know what's going to stay and what's going to go i think it's always a swinging of the the pendulum if people want to see peter's pendulum swinging where would they go uh well you gotta you gotta pay top dollar for that to begin with or or, um, or we just wait till you get I, drunk I'm, and live stream it hey <laughs> i'm not at that point yet <laughs> yes being the appropriate term yes yes um but you you can find me uh busting into your room pendulum swinging on uh, Twitter at the Cinematica on YouTube, the Cinematicist on Facebook, the Cinematicist, of course, on 1201beyond.com where you can get some shirts, not only mine, but the other fine, fine folks Patreon at Cinematica as well, where you can give me money so I don't have to swing my pendulum for cash. Cecil would never swing his pendulum for cash. He would just do it for kicks. Why not? It's easy I, money. I, I'm Irish, man. There is not much of a pendulum there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me not swinging my pendulum at uh, goodbadflicks.com. This is the stupidest <laughs> euphemism I think we've ever it fucking created. It really is. It's just the worst. <laughs> Goodbadflicks at uh, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord, and um, 1201beyond.com. And I'm surprised you were able to say that with, with Shutter's dick all the way down your mouth. Look. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, I am going to send him a bill for this. You should. Well, and you can find <laughs> me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. I also want to thank the website, The Blacklist, and author Kate Hagen for some of the research that we used tonight. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.